Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset, your home for news, politics, arts and culture, and more. It's Banned Books Week, and a new report from the free speech advocacy group PEN America lays out a disturbing trend. Challenges to books in schools and libraries are on the rise. And the report says they're not just coming from concerned parents, but are part of an organized political effort. The number of books targeted speaks volumes. So far in 2022, more than 1,600 books have been challenged. That's more than in all of 2021, a year that had the highest number of complaints since the American Library Association began documenting book challenges decades ago. Joining us to discuss all this is Jonathan Friedman, Director of Free Expression and Education Programs at PEN America. And WBEZ education reporter Susie Ahn, she's been covering local attempts to ban books. Susie, let's start with what happened at the Barrington School Board meeting last night. Catch us up there. Yeah, so there were um, two books um, in question here. Someone filed a complaint against those in the high school library. Uh, Both are young adult LGBTQ books. Uh, One is called Flamer. That's a graphic novel about a Filipino-American boy struggling with his gay identity. Um, The other is This Book is Gay. It's a nonfiction book about gender and sexuality. And so those books were reviewed by a committee within the district which recommended to keep the books in the school library. And last night, the school board voted four to three to uphold that recommendation and and keep those books in the library. And I just want to note that the books are are not part of any school curriculum or reading list. Uh, They are simply housed in the high school library. Wow. So was this meeting last night, was that contentious? Because I know at one point someone in the audience called a board member a pedophile, right? Right. I mean, it started off relatively mild, I guess, as, uh, you know, some of these uh, board meetings go. Um, Of course, people were assertive during the uh, public comment period. But, you know, things, I think, got a little more heated uh, during um, the board discussion uh, before they took a vote. Um, You know, audience members were very vocal about whether they disagreed or agreed with uh, what board members were saying. And at one point, a board member um, who agreed with keeping books in the library, you know, talked about how he was receiving messages about, you know, people calling him a pedophile. Wow. And at that point, that's when someone, um, you know, in the audience just shouted that out and called him a pedophile. And so Goodness. they had to take a brief recess at that point. Jonathan, does this suburban Chicago school board meeting that we're describing here, does that reflect what's happening elsewhere in the country? I've heard this story at least a dozen times, something similar around along the lines of what you're describing. And that's what was a big focus of our report, really, is that anybody who's been in school board meetings or tracking the book ban wave of the past year knows that most of the time it, 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 there are strange forces at work. It's not always parents who people know who are showing up at school board meetings. Sometimes there are uh, other people and you have questions about where they're getting their information and what they're there to accomplish. But the, the tactics are remarkably similar uh, in, in geographic places that have you know, great distances between them. And so there are lists of books that people have, the rhetoric around, as you mentioned, uh, calling people uh, pedophiles or suggesting that it, particularly if anyone wants LGBTQ content that had, or if, if it's any books with any kind of sexual content whatsoever, 
that if they support those being available and accessible in school libraries, that they are themselves mm-hmm. um, somehow nefarious. And so this is a pretty standard um, description that I've heard a lot. You're the lead author of a report just released by PEN America and outlining how book bans have really just become political. Give us the main takeaways. Yeah, well, the main takeaways is that I think it's important that people understand that this is really different from book bans of even a few years ago. PEN America as a 100-year-old free expression and literary organization um, that celebrates and defends literature. You know, we, we've been dealing with book bans of all kinds but for, for many years. But, you know, in the past few years, it was really more of a quiet um, hum, you know, there'd be isolated cases, maybe the occasional uh, group, you know, mass banning of books at once, but that's really nothing like what we're seeing now. Then it was an individual parent or um, in, in a small localized case, someone is upset about a set of books, maybe. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, organization. This is coordination. This is similar tactics. This is wow. uh, similar demands. Uh, and that is producing you know, similar results as a lot of school boards are just not ready to deal with these demands and are um, removing books at the drop of a hat. I'm I'm gratified to hear that this board in Barrington voted to keep these books. Yeah. And and Susie, talk talk more about what Jonathan just expressed here, this this political twist to things. Like, you've been covering this locally for a little while. I wonder if it seems to you like the most vocal parents that you hear speaking up and asking for books to be taken off the shelves. Do they have more personal concerns or does it sound political? You know, it's it's interesting. Um, you will certainly see parents coming out with, um, with personal concerns. They are definitely community members. They have kids in the district. But then there are other groups um, who they might be a part of or, or groups that, you know, they found out about this book simply because of the attention drawn uh, by uh, sort of these political groups. Um, for example, um, there's a, a local chapter of the group uh, Moms for Liberty. You know, they kind of rallied support for um, getting those books removed from Barrington. Um, another group I've seen is Awake Illinois, encouraging people to show up to school board meetings to um, get certain books removed. And and some of these groups you'll also see, you know, um, enter into other discussions at school board meetings. I'm just thinking last year, you know, we see, we've see seen some of these groups um, around mask and vaccine mandates. Um, so there, you know, you definitely see that at play. Yeah. Jonathan, the more I hear about these meetings and what you just described across the nation, I'm brought back to the same question. Why? Why are we seeing more of this? Why do people care so much about a book? Just don't pick it up. Don't read it. Yeah, just close it, right? Close it. Just let other people get it. I think there's a few different things going on. I think one of them is a lot of parental anger over the pandemic um, that, you know, is real anger but has been now pivoted, harnessed, and and kind of um, put on this issue in particular. I think that there is an element of politics involved, you know, that there are elected officials. I think there was a a sense that the Youngkin election, Governor Youngkin in Virginia, uh, where they made that about parents and education really seemed to win the election for him. And I think the other people are trying to 
jump on that bandwagon, you know, and, and there's been so much activity around this in Florida from Governor DeSantis or Texas from Governor Abbott. And so there's, there are definitely politicians who are involved. Uh, and then there are also just these groups, you know, some of them are local Facebook groups. Some of them have na- are, are local chapters of national organizations. Some of them have ties to conservative political operations. I think there's a lot of questions to be asked about uh, what's going on here behind the scenes, but there's no question that in the part that is visible, you see similar tactics, similar demands, similar observations being made across the country. And that's really the focus of of our work here to lift that up, that that is um, not the way this has usually uh, been going on. So I do think it is tied on some level to the election. I think it is uh, some elements, you know, that maybe are moving on to these issues from where they were a few years ago, like in the Tea Party and other things. And some of these groups actually are, are relatively recent, mm-hmm. and then some are not recent. They've been around a while. They're like anti-LGBTQ groups that have you know, been pushing that drum for a long time, and now they have turned towards books and libraries. So yeah. it's a mix of things, but there's definitely a common set of tactics that is being developed very clear. Susie, in West Suburban Downers Grove, uh, that area has just become an epicenter for this issue locally. I remember a year ago they had raucous school board meetings over challenges to ban that book called Gender Queer. Um, Mm -hmm. It's now the most banned book in the country. Last week, the Downers Grove Public Library was making headlines again. Fill us in there. That's right. Uh, The Downers Grove Public Library was set to host a a drag queen bingo event in October. Um, But then they received a number of threats over social media, phone calls. I mean, people going as far as to threaten violence. So just out of safety concerns, the library canceled the event and um, police are are investigating those threats now. And and back to your point, Jonathan, about the fact that some of this truly is not just from recent days in the past, we have seen authors like Mark Twain, to, uh, Toni Morrison, all challenged, right? Oh, yes, yes. And, and now, you know, th- this comes in, in waves. You know, if you look at like the early 1980s where there was a lot of books being challenged in droves, um, and at the time, you know, Toni Morrison was a big pen member, and, and I'm told she, she, you know, had strong feelings about people who wanted to ban rather than read her books. Um, but, you know, today, this is much broader. This is like people putting in a keyword search, you know, LGBTQ books, and they get everything that is tagged that way by librarians, and then they use that to demand those books are removed. And then in some cases, you just have people flipping through books that have, you know, generic, I don't know, children's books with representation of diverse families. And if there's an image that looks like it might be a same-sex couple, that can, you know, even be grounds for demands that that book be removed. And this is moving very quickly as well from school libraries where it started to public libraries. So for, you hear some people saying, well, we just want to control schools. People can get at books elsewhere. You know, we're not banning them everywhere. Mm -hmm. But increasingly, this kind of censorious mood is setting in uh, across, you know, demands concerning multiple public institutions. Yeah, and it's putting librarians in a tough spot, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look, over a book, a librarian should have to sacrifice their career, uh, should have to endure death threats. You know, in, in Idaho, there was a, a library that had its insurance compromised because of the threats that are happening there. And so wow. this is, you know, moving very quickly from 
a book in a library in a school to a whole subset of books in a, in a public library and then to a whole library entirely, even continuing to exist. And so the, it, there's been a ratcheting up of this, of the threat and of what is um, being proposed as solutions to this. And it's very concerning for yeah. the state of our public institutions and our democracy. I mean, my goodness, are we going to see librarians in the future get arrested for providing books on controversial topics? It's been proposed. It's been proposed in numerous states and in Missouri. Uh, they have and and uh, Idaho. They in, well, in Missouri in particular, wow. they have a new law that um, it does seem to suggest that someone could be arrested for that kind of thing. And in Idaho, they've just uh, excuse me, uh, Utah. They have. I'm getting all my states mixed up. The one that's it's really everywhere, on that. It's, it, this is what I mean. But yeah, it's Missouri that's the one where they've gone the farthest with that. We'll leave it there for now. Jonathan Friedman is Director of Free Expression and Education Programs at PEN America. And WBEZ education reporter Susie Ahn was with us as well. Thank you both. This episode of Reset was produced by Andrea Guffman. It was edited and mixed by Andrew Merriweather. If you want more great interviews and conversations, then consider subscribing to this podcast. And don't forget to leave us a rating. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll meet you right back here tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.